I'm Arya Schwartz, along with Eli Horowitz, and welcome to the WNBA Insider Show. Each week, we cover different topics important to the W, using X's and O's, along with key stats, we bring honest and critical analysis. This week, a very exciting episode. We are honored to be joined by Bendel. Ben is a key contributor to High Post Hoops, formerly known as Summit Hoops. And, and speaking for myself and Eli here, Ben is somebody that we really respect the opinion of and are excited to have on our show to shoot the breeze of the W. Um, Ben's done some amazing work, so if you haven't already, check him out on Twitter and his work on High Post Hoops. We could spend some time talking about training camp rosters, but to be quite frank, it's an interesting topic, but so many of those names on that list won't make it to the roster because it is so hard to make a roster in the W. We don't really see that as something we should spend time with. Instead, we decided we're going to focus on the burning questions pertaining to each team, or as we like to call it, the 12 burning questions. Um, Ben, I hope you're cool with that. And I know Eli's excited about this because Eli's been racking his brain about how you answer these questions uh, for each team, kind of. Yeah, let's get right to it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the way I looked at it was kind of, you know, what do heading into training camp, obviously, um, you know, general managers and coaches are trying to finalize their roster, um, and they have to make some marginal decisions, you know, of who's going to get that 11th and 12th spot. And we kind of spoke about it, Ben, the other day on the phone, you know, there's some tough choices, but like, like Arya said, it's kind of, from a coaching perspective, you know, other than figuring out those 11th and 12th players that probably won't get very much playing time, you know, what is what do they need to figure out over the next three weeks from a X's and O's perspective and kind of from an identity perspective? So I kind of came up with 12 questions. I'm just going to jump right in and, and skip around here. And I'm going to start in the Eastern Conference. Um, let's start with a, with a big one, a really important one, uh, Connecticut. Um you know, this is a team that finished fourth and really surprised a lot of people last year and developed, you know, arguably one of the, the, the top two or three front courts in the league um, with John Quill Jones and Alyssa Thomas at the four. So what I wanted to ask you is, you know, how does Shanae's return, how, how is that going to affect them from an X's and O's perspective? Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. I think, I think it's really just going to be par for the course with them. And I think the difference with how their with their roster and how it's made up is like John Quill Jones is like her shooting is real. It's not one of these, you know, they came in one season, you know, they shot a low number of, temp, of attempts and they made thirty five percent of them. Um, so I think even if they end up playing together a lot, I think, you know, I, you could, I guess you could call John Quell the, the four offensively because she can just, she can stand behind the three-point line and, com- and command a lot of attention. I think that is really going to open the door for them to, to honestly just play whatever combinations they want. But, well, I, I'm just going to jump in real quick, not to cut you off, Eli. But my concern with that is the rim protection that J.J. has. And as far as, yes, Shanae and, and J.J. have different skill sets, but a lot of their strengths kind of overlap, wouldn't you say? Um, so are you talking just defensively? 
Defensively, I mean, offensively, I think they kind of stretch the court in a very different way. But yeah, defensively, how do you say who's going to match up with who? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think that's an interesting question for a lot of teams, and I think it really just depends on the matchup. Like, you know, you go into a game against Minnesota, you know, Br- you know, Brunson is starting to shoot th- the three more, but you're not quite as worried that that's a player that's going to shoot a ton out there and take you off the dribble a ton. Whereas if, you know, obviously against like the Sparks and you got to worry about Candace Parker, you have to think about your four and your five matchups a little bit more, I would say. So I guess depending on the matchup, we may see the minutes kind of oscillate. But I that, I mean, that's the whole point of them having all this depth, right, is that they're going to have the flexibility to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, Ben. I kind of look at it that way. Like offensively, because Jones can shoot the three, the spacing shouldn't be a problem when they play together. I, I definitely think, yeah, the bigger question is kind of defensively. I think both of them are more comfortable as rim protectors than maybe guarding on the perimeter. So I think that's something Kurt Miller is going to have to figure out as far as if they do play together, who's better at kind of defending like a stretch four, you know. Um, But let's move to Chicago. And, and, you know, the thing with Chicago is – Obviously, they had a really nice draft, and they're they're adding two key players. But I think what's lost in that is Elena Coates is coming back, and so rather than kind of, I think we everyone's talked about the Shields and Gabby Williams a lot with the draft coverage. I wanted to talk about Coates, and especially with her fit with Dolson. From my vantage point, I see Vandersloot and Quigley as players that can really push the pace and shoot, and I see their 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 rookies being able to dive in and play that style as well. So my question for you is how does how does Coates how does Coates really fit into that as she is kind of more of a traditional big who can't really stretch the floor and run up and down um, kind of with the personnel they already have. Yeah, I I guess this kind of I would kind of look at this similarly to the same que- to the same question I think there might be some times where they can play both of them together. I think, I think defensively they're both, I would definitely say they're both fives. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's more of just a minute share, especially to begin with, you know, with this being, you know, Elena Coates is going to be making her debut, you know, a year later. Um, so I think it's just, I think it's just going to take some time because, you know, especially to the pace thing, we haven't seen her in a WNBA game yet, you know, so it's hard It's hard to totally say that she might not assimilate well with that style. Yeah, do you, do you kind of – I mean, my, my thought was like maybe she can be kind of like an offensive focus of the second unit. What do you think about that? Like a different style for them in the second unit. Yeah, I don't – it'll be interesting to see what they do with their second unit, how much – if Vandersloot and Quigley are staggered at all, because they can definitely handle leading the offense on their own. And then they have Jameer Faulkner, who's a pretty pure pick-and-roll point guard. So I think I would expect them to just lean more that way, where they're. I think they'll be able to just play the same way whenever they want and just always have at least two people on the court that are going to be able to run a pick-and-roll. And I think that's what we're more likely to see, and then it'll just be a matter of, when Dolson's out there, they can leverage her shooting ability. But maybe with Coates, they're able to 
you know, maximize her a little bit more role into the basket and, and allow her to get on the offensive glass. So Chicago is a team that Eli and I have both spoken in past, past shows about a team that could really, you know, either be bottom of the pack or higher up in the middle. And they really have a lot of question marks as far as what we'll see for them. Now, obviously we haven't seen them play yet. We're, we're recording during or the end of day two of training camp. So there's a lot of question marks still there. I guess what my question is, is you have three uh, lottery draft picks coming onto this team and Coates, I, and I agree with both of you on this, that she could be a powerful center of the second unit. How do you see this team improving realistically coming into the, at the end of this season, I guess? I, I think the best case for them is that, is that they take better care of the ball. They had the second worst turnover rate in the league last year. And, you know, Vandersloot and Quigley and then Faulkner coming back and then Diamond to Shields and Gabby Williams as even if they're just secondary playmakers, they just have too much talent and too many smart passers for that to be a thorn in their side. I think if they can just clean that up, you know, some of the games last year that just totally got away from them, they just couldn't stop turning the ball over for a four-minute stretch and it would just really put them in a hole. Um, I think, I think the, I think for a lot of people, the first thing they might point to is the defense, which obviously needs to get better. But if you just, if you're just giving the, if you just have four minutes a game where you're falling apart every three games, though, you're just not going to have a chance. Speaking of defense and that's great stuff. Let's move to Indiana because that's, uh, segues perfectly. And, um, you know, we can talk about it another time. We weren't as big a fans of the draft, their draft, as other people. Um, but, you know, with with the personnel they're bringing in and with the losses of January and Coleman, um, how is this team going to get stops? Yeah, that's a, that's a fair question. Um, they... Were, I, was, I was looking at this before we started. Um, they allowed, their opponents took almost 41% of their shots within five feet of the basket last year. And wow. They and, they and Dallas were um, a clear cut worse than the rest of the pack. I, I do think we both seem to be big fans of Kayla Alexander, and I think that will help them out at the basket because she has like real size as a center, I mean, as a, you know, being a legit six foot four. So I think if they allow her to hang back, I think that will help them out a lot. Other than that, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how critical I would want to be off the bat. If I would, I would assume they're going to start both Vivians and Mitchell from day one. And if you're doing that, I think you just want to, to a certain extent, you have to just let them grow. You have to, you have to allow young players to make mistakes and to, and to stretch their limits. So I, I don't know how, how much I'm, I'd, I'd say I'm worried about that, but I think Alexander being there to kind of be an anchor in the middle was a good start. Yeah, that, definitely. They, they've made some great moves. I guess my question is, and maybe this is a little bit personal, Eli and I have both gotten a little bit of a, of online flack from, from the, the fans for standing in our preseason power rankings that Indiana will be bottom of the league. Do you think that I'm not going to put you on spot and, and ask you to agree or disagree, but I will ask you, 
Do you think that Indiana has a ceiling to really make us look like fools? Um, Translation, can they make the playoffs? I think that's, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, could they make the playoffs? Sure, I think so. I mean, you're – I mean, we saw what we saw what it was like at the bottom of the standings last year. I mean, if one of these, if one of these stars for one of these teams towards the bottom of the race, if they turn an ankle, I mean, that could really just totally take them out of it, and someone else has to step into that. I think, I think that would just really rely on Kelsey Mitchell just being, just her, like the absolute best that anyone would have expected her from her as a rookie. Obviously, no one's doubting that she's a great offensive player, but if she just steps in and just doesn't miss a beat, I think, I think sure, I think they could make some noise, and I think offensively, I think they'll be able to score on people. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. You know, I will say, and and again, I it's almost funny, but I didn't feel putting them twelfth was almost an insult to them. It's just I think this year is going to be so competitive. Um, like you saw, like Indiana, Chicago, and Vegas were the three teams that missed the playoffs last year. Um, all got so much better in the draft. It's, you know, you, we're almost putting them out of the playoffs by default. Kind of just like you're in the lottery until proven otherwise. But I think you do make a good point that, I mean, Wilson, Mitchell, DeShields, I mean, this could, those teams could really improve. Let's... uh Let's bounce. We're stand, just going to finish the East and then move to the West. Um, so let's go to New York and, you know, coaching change. But, you know, th- their offseason was pretty steady. Um, they didn't have the cap room to make any major moves. I think the bigger stories for them were off the court with the sale or, or the lack of a sale and moving to Westchester. But, you know, it's been three seasons now where they've had a dominant defense. Um, They've been, you know, one of the best rebounding teams in the WNBA, but their offense has ultimately failed them in the playoffs. Uh, I think last year they were eighth in offense, um, which again isn't bottom of the league. But when you're a contender on defense, I think you got, you know, you want to be at least top six. I would think on both sides of the ball to really have a shot at the title. So. I don't know if, if if you're you know if you if you have the clipboard in your hand what what do they need to do to just have a better flow on offense is it something schematic uh, what do you got on that well you know I'm I'm just not I'm not quite to that point where I would say that they ha- that the Liberty had any real problems I mean if anything you know, from a, pan, a fan perspective, they're at a disadvantage because they've been the ultimate guinea pig for the worst case scenario of how this single elimination format can go. Um, and I, I understand the frustrations with that. And obviously the players, are the ones that have to deal with that, but I don't know, to start, I would just counter back to you guys. Like what I don't, you know, there's no shame in losing to Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner in a single elimination game. And then this past year, if Christy Tolliver goes nuts, I mean, what can you do? <laughs> There's nothing you can do at that yeah, point. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair enough. I think, yeah, maybe uh, focusing – you do make a valid point that in a single elimination, focusing on the playoffs is a bit unfair because you could say the same for Connecticut. It's like they lost in the first round, but like, yeah, they lost to a Diana Taurasi and, you know, that doesn't take away from how good of a season Connecticut had. But I, I guess – just, I think this is a good one to kind of go back and forth on. 
I, I'm just saying, you know, the, if they had the eighth-ranked offense last year, that's not good enough to win a title, you know, regardless of if they won the single elimination game. And I guess from my vantage point, I don't see a lot of player movement offensively. I see a lot of, you know, throw the ball to Charles and, the and you know, maybe they kick it back out for a three, but I didn't see just a ton of great spacing and movement. And, you know, I kind of feel like they ran a lot of horns, just kind of stationary type of sets, um, unlike, you know, Connecticut or Minnesota. And so I, I, I don't know. Do you feel like they should just roll out the same offensive package again and hope it's a different result in the playoffs? I think that's hard to say. I I, I I enjoy what they what they kind of came into when they had that winning streak, and I I dove into that in great detail, which you can read over on High Post Hoops. But I thought I thought what they found late in the season was good. I um, I can see what you're saying, but when you have Tina Charles, I mean, the whole point, you know, every good team, you have to have some you have to have some fulcrum of your offense that's going to draw a second person. And that's what Tina Charles does. I mean, you give her the ball anywhere and she's going to draw that second person. And I think they played well off of that. Um, I liked I liked what they did with their starting trio of Bria Hartley, Shavante Zellis, and Epiphany Prince. I think the real question is what, what guards are going to play the most minutes for them this year. With a new coach, you know, is, is are we going to see Sugar Rogers back in the starting lineup? Um, how soon is Brittany Boyd going to start playing? I think Boyd is that one brings that one wrinkle that no one else really brings them of just someone with this awesome burst that can really just blow by people. And I think that would be a welcome addition, but you know, that's what we would have expected last year had she not gone down with that injury. So fair enough. I think that that is valid that at the end of the day, the point of an offense is to draw. I mean, ultimately you're trying to draw defenders to one player kick it out and get closeouts, right? You want you want either an open shot or a defense or the defense in rotations flying at you so you can dry attack off the catch, draw additional defenders and you know dump it off for a layup or finish at the rim. And 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 you're right, like Charles is their best chance to draw those defenders. And maybe just for me, when you're playing so much through the post, it's just it's harder to get that kind of organic movement, but but I do think you're right. Boyd maybe is that guard that can do that, can kind of break break people off the dribble and get the defense into closeouts and rotations. Um, it seemed like they just their guard rotation was a bit in flux last year. But um, let's let's we got two more in the East. Um, let's go to Washington, and I mean, you know, a lot's been made, and and even I, I talked to. Coach Tebow himself, who who really didn't shy away, honestly, from saying that you know the team played really well um, without Emma Miesemann last year. They were eight and three, and you know they did have Taylor Hill for a lot of that stretch. But his kind of point was, you know, he said straight up, you know, Deladon's best position is the four. So I guess you know, what's your stance? On that, um, how, like, how does the loss of Miesemann affect their identity and their schemes? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's no sense in in arguing against that. I think if you can have Deladon as your four, that's that's the preferred way to go. I think, you know, I think defensively, it 
it makes a big difference when you can just play Crystal Thomas more because against the best teams, you need someone with real size that can get you a rebound. Um, and just the pure fact that they, they had more minutes to give to her, I think, I think that helps their defense a lot. Having someone who can be a presence around the basket and, and rely, be a reliable um, person to pull down rebounds for them. On offense, I, I don't know that we ever really got to see them really gel and kind of find a, any bit of a groove because their team was just so disrupted in different ways last year with Miesman going away for Eurobasket, Dell Down got nicked up, Taylor Hill tearing her ACL. On offense, I don't think we really saw what anything close to what they're going to be. So I don't know. I don't really know what to say on that end as far as what 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 it's really going to feel like to lose her because I don't think we saw that group at its peak on offense. Well, I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, it was so troubling to see. You saw, I mean, when 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 Miesman went down, then the team kind of focused on Deladon, and then Deladon had an injury, then Miesman came in, and, and there was never a time where they got to gel. And when they did gel, honestly, it looked sporadic, and they didn't look like a team. And that's why I think, at least from my perspective, the Mystics have the opportunity because they have a more solid, concrete identity, obviously assuming that there aren't any injuries that hamper it. I just see this team having the ability to go through a whole season versus you know, during the season having to adjust their identity, I think this team is going to flourish much better than they did last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I don't know. They ma- they did make the conference finals last year, so I don't know how much, you know, unless you think they can win the whole thing, you know, I don't know. I think they can at least win one game in those yeah, conference we'll, we'll finals. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I kind of, I agree with Ben that it's, with the uh, we just really don't know what to expect offensively. And I think that's where maybe, you know, People are getting a little carried away of saying they're better without Misaman. Um, you know, it's just like I agree that defensively Thomas and Deladon is probably better, but I think you got to give some credit to Misaman. I mean, she's a very skilled offensive player. And I think it's a little naive to think they're just not going to miss a beat, um, you know, uh, of the production that she she brings. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, and I, I I don't disagree with Arya saying that they may finish better this year than they did last year, although that's not really an indictment of Misaman. I mean, offensively, it's not close. Like, they, there's no way they can become so much better offensively with her because if you're playing her and Olena at the four and the five, we got a couple of glimpses of it last year, but you know, the, the, the sequences that really stuck out to me is when Tierra Ruffin Pratt just got to roam around in the paint because Deladon and Meesman can spot up out there. And then she would just catch the ball, take someone off the dribble, find a cutter. Um, so specifically for her, I think that really raises her where she can meet her ceiling. And that's, you know, she's another really important player for them because they really love having her out there for her defense. Yeah, well, I think they're a bit of a wait and see, but um, let let's round out the East with Atlanta. Um, I think you know th- this is one of those exciting teams because they they just they they more than any other team just made a lot of moves. You know, as far as free agency and Angel coming back and even trading to get an additional draft pick that netted them uh, Monique Billings. 
So they have a lot of new faces, um, a lot of talent on this team, um, a coach people are excited about. I mean, we count us as, you know, people that are believers. And I think we had them fourth or fifth in our power rankings, respectively. But having said that, you know, this team was, you know, I I believe they were last in three-point percentage last year. And when I watched them, I just, I noticed they took a lot of long twos. They really just never had proper spacing on offense. And I mean, how do they solve that? Because, you know, Renee Montgomery is a, a good shooter, but do they have enough shooting overall on, on that, on this roster um, to really kind of be a contender? Well, I think, I think Nikki Collin addressed this. I think she may have been on the WNBA weekly show and she, and she pointed out, Hey, we are this, we, we ran the least pick and roll in the entire league last year. And they did dissolve a lot of the time into just, give the ball to somebody, go do something. And that's, and that kind of makes it tough because you're not, even if you are taking more threes, you're not generating awesome looks every time like you would um, doing more to, you know, drop defenders into the lane. And, you know, I think this year, I mean, it's, it's undoubtable that this year they have the personnel to do that. I think Angel McCautry just walking back onto the court alone, that's going to do a ton for them. And then, you know, I think, I think Tiffany Hayes is one of the, you know, one of the really unsung superstars in this league. I mean, what she can do off the dribble, I don't think there's another player like her right now with what she can do with one step to just get right by somebody. And then the way she can move in tight spaces, she's able to finish once she gets there too. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely, you're, you're right. They, I mean, Hayes took a leap last year and with Angel back, they definitely have more off the dribble players that are going to draw help, like you said, and get spot up threes. I think that I, I, that's what you meant, right? Like they'll be able to generate spot up threes as opposed to like contested threes or ISO situations. But I guess it's just who's going to knock those down. You know, Le, you know, Leja Clarendon shot, you know, 17%. Um, you know, Angel and Tiffany are not, not great three point shooters. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Who, who, who can consistently knock down that shot? Um, you, you're, it will be better looks, but, um, I don't know. I'm a, I think that's, that, that's a concern I have for them. Yeah. You know, I think, I think Leija is going to be really interesting to watch this year. Um, there were, you know, there was at times it was a little strange how Michael Cooper managed her specifically, you know, there was that game where she was benched and then. It, you know, it just, he kept bringing up her aggression and well, it'll be interesting to see now with a new coach, you know, is, is she going to take more open shots when they're there? Um, I think, and you know, M- Montgomery, Maggie Lucas, if she ends up making the team is someone who can definitely hit those shots. I think Sykes is going to, pr- is, I think Sykes is going to continue to improve as a spot up shooter. And Hayes shot 37% last year after she was in the 20s for a couple of years. I'm, I'm a little more inclined to believe that's real. We'll have to wait and see. And then Breland, um, Jessica Breland, you guys have done a good job of highlighting how important she, of a player she is. Um, we'll see how many threes she ends up taking, but, I mean, that's, that's a knockdown shooter from 18 feet. And, you know, even that 
opens things up a little bit. So I, I think that's a pretty solid yeah. cast of characters. If you're- would you, would, well, real quick, would you consider them? I mean, obviously I kind of compare them to Washington last year where a lot of te- a lot of analysts kind of said they have the tools to be a top contender. Obviously they kind of fizzled out in many ways. Do you consider Atlanta a contender? Yeah, absolutely. I haven't I haven't sat down and made a hard one through twelve list of where I think everyone's at the beginning of the year. Um, you guys know I'm really big on Phoenix as a clear number three, but after that, I think if not, you know, if not one of the top three, I think Atlanta would definitely be in that next tier. Um, that can get because I mean you you need that star power to win games. I think the foundation for the defense is there. I think they just kind of fell off a little bit once. They, you know, got stuck in that that brutal losing streak, and and you know, like we'll wait, you know, like we said, we'll wait and see. the The offense is going to have to be totally, um, you know, turned on its head, and there are new pieces to it, and a new coach calling those shots. But yeah, that they, they yeah, absolutely I mean, there. You could definitely argue they might even, you know, they arguably have the best roster, like you know, one to twelve, just so many weapons. Um, so they're going to be. They're going to be fun. One little tidbit, I did actually – I don't know how this happened, but I had some tweet a while back that Brittany Sykes, you know, she 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 kind of mastered the pump fake pull-up. And I said, you know, we, we got to start training pl- – and this isn't just for WNBA. Just, I mean, I coach too. I just – this is kind of a general comment, but I feel like the pump fake sidestep three is just – once players can get that, it's just such, such a – higher points per possession than taking a very long two. And her coach from Turkey actually like DM me randomly and was like talking to me about that. So it's just kind of funny, but you know, I'm curious to see if that's something just shooting more threes that she, she's add to their game and that their whole team does. I think Nikki Collin will kind of, you know, get that out of their players. Um, let's move to the West now, which is just going to be crazy. I mean, you know, the, the West is so talented. Um, you know, my top three, you know, I, I agreed with you, Ben. I My power rankings had Phoenix three. Um, so, you know, in theory, the, the, the top three teams in the same conference and Seattle and Dallas were both playoff teams last year and, and, and Vegas adding the number one pick. So th- this could kind of be the conference of death, if you will, um, just as far as matchups. Um, but let, let's start with Phoenix. Um, and the one thing with them is, you know, I was there, you know, you were there some, I was, we were both there at the um, Phoenix LA series. And it just, what really stood out to me after watching those three games is, you know, Candace and Neca were able to double Griner pretty much whenever they wanted. And it, it didn't work every time, but I think ultimately you know, they frustrated her enough that she really couldn't dominate. And, you know, part of that, from what I saw, was Camille Little just not being enough of a threat to make um, L.A. pay for that double team. Um, So I guess, you know, bringing over Sancho Little, you know, a great player, brings a lot to the table, but not necessarily, you know, an offensive, you know, elite offensive player. So I guess, has Phoenix done enough um, especially at that four spot to kind of make teams pay for doubling Griner. And I know like in the regular season, it's not going to be a problem, but I, I'm really talking about, you know, when we get to the LA's and Minnesota's of this league. 
Yeah, and yeah, that was that was good for you to point that out that we are skipping way ahead here. I think it, I mean it was Camille Little. It was every single time it was her standing at the right elbow by herself, and the spark said, "Go ahead, shoot it." The first two games, she didn't shoot the ball at all. And then that game three, she finally did. And she made a bunch of them. And then the Sparks ended up pulling out a close win. Um, so, and they did, you know, they brought her back. I think I I would have liked to see how that place, that series played out if she would have just taken those shots. Um, I asked Sandy Brondello about it and she said, yeah, you know, they're leaving her open and she needs to shoot the ball. Um, and obviously if they're going to leave her on the court, they want her to take those shots because whoever's in that spot is going to. Um, I looked this up for for uh, Sancho. Her last six seasons from 11 to 21 feet, she shot 36% on almost 800 attempts. Um, in 2014, that was a – I guess that would be a something you're going to point to if you're a Mercury fan and hope for. Um, she shot 42% from the mid-range in 2014. You're saying thirty? Um, is that thirty-six percent? If yes, in total That's last six rough. years. I mean, and and the Mer- I mean, well, and the Mercury just put out a video. I think it was two days ago of her shooting at the elbows, and as you know, I watched it, and, and I, in my head, I just said, "Yeah, like <laughs> that's that's the shot." You know, fast forwarding the playoffs, that's the shot that someone on that team is going to have to make. Or you know, I I do think they now have a more realistic option if they don't, if they need to go away from that, if little and little aren't going to take and make those shots, I would, I'd be fascinated to see, you know, if they fall down one Oh in a series or if it's just not working, even in the regular season, are they going to slide Dewana Bonner over to De- Bonner over to the four and then just roll with that? Because I think they have the guards to then fill in if they slide her up. Yeah, that's a great point. It's it, that's the thing. If you put four guards out there, I, that that team seems like they're unguardable. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I I'm I'm really excited to see how Von Turner does this season. Um, I mean, she was awesome for them. She totally came out of nowhere after all these years of not even getting a shot, and it's like, who is this player? And for anyone that's been watching EuroLeague this year, I mean, it looks real. And so she'll probably even be coming off the bench this year. But I think that's a really key piece to, to plug in for extra minutes if they do want to go small. And that they can, and they can trust her on the other side of the ball, too. I mean, they really relied on her in that run late last season in the playoffs to also guard, you know, the best player out there on the perimeter. And, and she held up pretty well. She's been dominating um, overseas. What, just one dominating. more thing on Griner. You know, one thought I had X's and O's wise I wanted to bounce off you is, you know, a lot of times she's catching it at the low block and it's just, it's easy to double there because there's a lot you can do. You know, you, you can send, um, you know, an opposite wing. You can send the other post player and have everyone else just sink to the level of the ball. Um, it, it's, that's kind of the traditional spot. You would double the post. You know, what are your thoughts on having her catch more at the high post? You really can't double team there because then you're just leaving somebody either wide open at the rim or someone else has to come down and and you're leaving a shooter completely open. I mean, it's very hard to double at the high post because that's essentially, you know, same how we talk about guards getting middle penetration. When you can just throw it into the high post, you've essentially gotten, you know, middle. You've gotten 
to the middle, which is what the defense doesn't want. Um, I don't know. Does Griner have the skill set to play there? I, I just think, at least in the playoffs, that would be kind of a way to avoid the double team. Um, I would say, I guess, I just don't see it the same way. I mean, we're talking about the person that led the league in scoring last year, and one of the things, one of the tools that she's really sharpened is she seems to really love that right block, and she just turns over her right shoulder, and she shoots that jumper, and she's money on that shot. And that's that's something I'm probably going to try to track this year because it just felt like every time she had the time to turn and shoot over that, even if someone was there, I mean, she just hit that shot every single time. And and the other, and this obviously isn't anything new, but just at her size, even when that double gets there, she just sees over it so easily that, you know, I don't think, I don't think they should really, they would really be sweating the idea of someone doubling her for 40 minutes because she can find, she can see the open person and she'll be able to make that pass. And, you know, I think more, the problem last year was that they need that person when the ball comes to them, they have to shoot the ball. That's, that's the whole point of, of them you know, letting that happen and then finding that person. But again, though, you know, that's all very true. But when she's faced against the top teams, Brittany Griner has struggled against, you know, Sylvia Fowles, against Candace Parker and NECA. Um, I'm interested to see moving forward how, you know, the the Shanae and John Quell combination will compete against her. I mean, we've seen phoenix succeed and i know you're hype on phoenix and i know eli's pretty hype on phoenix i guess my question is coming from someone who is a bit of 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 a doubter when it comes to phoenix with the the era of diana tarasi shaping down and the britney griner era even more so in full effect does she have the ability to lead this team to championships with the likes of of the other top talent she's going to be facing yeah i absolutely i think so you know it again like with you know offensively that you know if you i made this point about tina charles if you have you know you you want to have you need some kind of mechanism that's gonna draw defenders and leave people open and just like with the liberty for them it's griner they just have to throw her the ball and they've already put a defense into chaos and you know, I think, you know, your point on fouls is fair, but I think you have to also acknowledge that, like, these are played, like, you know, every player is on their own timeline. And, you know, these last couple of years, grinders continue to still get better and better. So I think you have to take that into consideration. And obviously, and obviously, fouls has done the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, she draws those doubles. She can see over them. I think that's just such a big advantage for her. And, you know, I really think the fact that she can knock down a turnaround jumper with such ease, I mean, I think that I think that creates a lot of problems. And that's, I would imagine she's in the top three for coaches of, you know, what you lose sleep over. Because at 6'8", if she decides to turn and shoot, there's, I mean, there's nothing you can yeah, do. Yeah, I, I, let's follow up throughout the season. It would be interesting to kind of track um, some of this stuff. Um you know, there's not as readily available stats throughout, but I think I'm going to try to do a better job too of looking on synergy because, you know, I just, I think let's circle back to this because I think you do make valid points about both the Liberty and Phoenix. It's just, I guess for me, stylistically, I, I, it's not as much my cup of tea if you're relying on 
post play, um, as far as like post scoring. Um, I, I just, the points per possession on just traditional post ups, you know, it's something I want to track this year more in the WNBA. I know in, a, you know, other levels of basketball, it's not necessarily the best shot. Um, I tend to favor more of a, you know, how Minnesota and LA, I, I think they're less reliant on dumping it down. Even, even player like Fowles, um, you know, they don't need her putting up 20 post-ups to win games. So I, I think it'll be interesting to track, but, but I think Phoenix, Phoenix could win the title. So, um, let's move to, uh, who do I want to do? Let's go to Seattle. Um, which is interesting because both I, I know you said you haven't sat down to really do your one through twelve, but I know Aria has them out of the playoffs in ninth place. I have them just making it over New York, um, but it was close. And I think you correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to speak for you, but I thought you did respond on Twitter that you'd also have them out over New York if you had because because if we all have Atlanta in, that means one team has to miss the playoffs. And it sounds like both of you guys have Seattle being that team. So I guess but first I even asked my question, just, I mean, feel free to clear the record. Was that accurate? Yeah, I remember when I when I read that, I kind of went quickly through my head. And yeah, you know, if one comes in, wants to come out. Yeah, if I, I, <laughs> I hate doing power rankings. But yeah, if I had to do a power rankings to start the season, they would be Seattle. So, would be so what, I guess, you know, what is it about their team that kind of puts them a little bit down from last year? I mean... For me, I mean, the question I had prepared, so, but feel free to take this in a different direction. Um, I just, you know, I think Lloyd and Bird defensively at times, you know, just could not necessarily handle the pick and roll. Um, and, and even Canada coming in. Now, she, she was a very, very good defender in college, but it's a really small backcourt. I mean, you know, it's not taking away from the defensive skills those players have or their, um, you know, effort or technique. But I still think if those three are your main perimeter players, you're just really undersized. For me, that's why I kind of have them, you know, in the playoffs but towards the bottom. What is it for you that kind of worries you as far as their playoff chances? Well, yeah, the the I I did prepare some stuff. You sent that over on the defense, but I like I just want to zoom out. Like for you, you know, the thing the thing to me with Seattle, you know, going into the season, a lot of the talk was okay. Like Seattle is going to take a jump. You know, Brianna Stewart, Super, Jewel Lloyd, they're all really good. It's going to be awesome. And then they struggled, and then they instantly became the biggest disappointment. But to me, it just it was such. For them, it was just such surface level talk. I mean, you're just saying, okay, they have these three really good players, but I mean, my just what other team doesn't have three really good players? Like we saw these games play out. The other teams have really good players too, and their their other players were better. No, it does. does that, I don't know. Does I, any of that I make sense? I actually really I want to emphasize that point because we actually Ari and I've talked about that too off the podcast. Like, there's only twelve teams. All these teams have really good players. And so I think you do make a good point. Like even the teams that missed the playoffs, you know, um, even, even San Antonio last year, I mean, you know, Kayla McBride is, you know, arguably a top 15 player in this league and she was on the worst team in the league. So yeah, I don't think, I think that's kind of a lazy narrative where sometimes we could just list players and say, Oh, this team's really good. But 
what we're trying to talk about is how good are they relative to the other good players? And it sounds like you're saying, you know, that's kind of the issue. What, what, what were your thoughts from the defense? Um, so this one, and I, I wrote about this a little bit last year too. Um, I kind of did a thing on their first four games when, uh, coach Kloppenberg took over as the interim coach. Um, and, and one of the things off the bat you saw right away is that, is that they were much more aggressive in the pick and roll. Um, I was, I'm not, I didn't, I'm not sure if it was, um, necessarily every single time, but it seemed like they really made a point to put Jewel Lloyd on the ball more on whoever the lead ball handler was. So that left, you know, with their starting group, Sue Bird and Alicia Clark off the ball. And they were much more aggressive trapping a pick and roll with Brianna Stewart or Crystal Langhorn, who both, you know, have the tools to do that well and to keep a guard in front of them. And, you know, they, they had some success generating turnovers with that, which they their base defense hadn't really been doing. And I like that look to put Lloyd's, you know, someone with this, you know, in, in a way, maybe some, maybe a little bit of untapped athleticism to really put her on the ball and give her that challenge. And then, you know, I think, I think Bird and Clark are, you know, Clark's an awesome on-ball defender, but I think those two players are really, are really good when they get a chance to read passing lanes and have a chance to try to, you know, anticipate the next pass and, and jump out for some steals. Um, and without a ton of turnover, I think that's something that they should definitely consider going back to. How how important is it for Seattle to get a true center for the growth of this team? Yeah, that's that's I think that's really the big question for them. I think I think first of all the you know the interesting thing to see from Dan Hughes and we might you know you might need to get to a playoff game to really find this out, but how much I think the first question is like how much do you trust Brianna Stewart to be a center if you think that's your best lineup? You know, I think that's another thing where I thought there was a lot of noise. I think if you go back and watch their game against Phoenix in the playoffs, there were a couple of possessions where she had Griner, they didn't send a double, and, like, she held her ground. And, like, if your game plan, regardless, is against Brittany Griner, if she's going to shoot over us, we're going to let her do that, she can do that just fine. And if you can do that against Griner, you can do that against anybody else. Um but one of the one of my things I really would like to see is I want to see them mix and match. You know, if if they're going against a big front line, I'd be interested to see them starting Courtney Paris. But then if they're you know if they're going against the Sparks, start Natasha Howard, who you invested a lot in to make That's sure. That's a can good go point. I I definitely agree. I think Stewart, uh, you know, guards Griner as good as anybody. I think her length really bothers and. She just, you know, she really understands angles, and that's very underrated. You, you know, when you're guarding somebody in the post, it, you know, I could tell she, she's watched, she watches a lot of film without even talking to her. I could because you can see her one step ahead on a lot of these moves, and just really her positional work is is really impressive. And you guys are both killing me here because I'm still losing sleep of them not taking Stevens because. I mean, I'm st- the the length. I mean, I'm just envisioning Stevens and Stewart defensively would be, you know, that. And you're talking about trapping and and playing aggressive. I mean, there's only so much of playing the what if game at this point. But um, I just had to say that because the moment you're talking about that trapping scheme, I just, you know, I think that's where basketball is headed, and I think that that front court would have been like 
you know, just the perfect modern basketball front court. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, let's, let's, uh, okay. Let's go to Minnesota. Um, you know, we, we've been critical of their off season. I don't think that's a, you know, you've, you've heard our takes on that. You know, I, I, I did have the piece I wrote on free agency where winners and losers, and I, I did put them in, in the loser category. And, um, I, I just kind of wanted your take, you know, on on kind of this new second unit they have. Um, you know, is it good enough to win a title? I mean, obviously their starting five is and and their coaches, um, but you know, Phoenix and 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 LA are really really good, and it just feels like they got marginally worse, and it's that close with LA. So, how do you kind of sh- what, what's your take on all that? Well, I think I think there are two answers to that question. You know, are we are we fast forwarding to the playoffs like you do with the Phoenix question, or are we just looking at the season in whole? I think I think there will be a lot more competition for a top two seed. You know, last season the Liberty finished four games behind the Sparks, who were at two, and they needed that ten game win streak to do it. As far you know, when it comes to grabbing a top two seed, I think. You know, I don't, and I don't really know if this really has anything to do with their moves or not. It's just, I think, you know, three through six, whatever that next group ends up being, I think those teams got a lot better. So I think, I think that kind of precludes any of the talk about their the bench. Where I think, you know, we saw how hard the Lynx and the Sparks were pushing for one of those seeds, and then even pushing each other for the top two seeds once we knew that they were going to be in there. And I mean those those two teams really really showed that they wanted it. I mean the Lynx brought back uh, Waylon and or they brought back Brunson for that um, national TV game in LA against the Sparks. Um, when initially I think you know she wasn't expected to come back as soon from that ankle. So I think I think first I think yeah I think because I think the seeding is going to be much tougher to come by. So I think I think that will make things much tougher for them. Well, it's going to be hard. I mean. I, I just don't understand, and this is coming from someone who's followed the links very closely. I I don't see how this second unit is going to put enough points on the board. And often, you know, the response is, "Oh, but they can focus defensively." But at the end of the day, I mean, if you look at the links from last year, and obviously it's all skewed because head coach Reeve is great at at adapting for what players they do have on the second tier, but this team needed that second line to give their older players rest. Yes, a lot of them aren't playing overseas, but still, you know, Lindsay's in her 15th season. Simone's got leg issues. Uh, Brunson, I, I mean, she's been in the leagues for as long as the league's been around, essentially, you know. So this team is old. I'm not saying that they, they're, the, the front line isn't good enough, but kind of to what Eli was saying, I don't, I'm kind of concerned. I'm not even kind of concerned. I'm extremely concerned as to how this second unit is going to fare to kind of carry the load. Last year, we saw the second unit take a bigger load than Minnesota is typically expected of them. How do you feel with a team getting older that, you know, this team can step up? Or is it just kind of hype that, that Robinson can't make a three and, and we they have young players coming in, they're going to take it over? Yeah, I mean, get them to the playoffs and start the playoffs, even if they have to play in a single elimination game, I don't think it's really going to hurt them very much. You go back and look at the box scores. 
it you know they were they were they played seven players. It was it was Montgomery and Perkins off the bench, and I think I think Gio Perkins losing her I think might be the bigger the bigger concern at this point. I think I'm you know I'm inclined to think that you know I think Robinson is going to do well, and she's just going to have the clear mandate just push the ball go. Um, look to get to the basket because now she obviously has um, a lot of weapons that she can kick it out to that will be able to knock down open shots. Um, but I think, I think Perkins is, is the bigger concern. I think what she did defensively was um, a little underrated, especially what she could do on Chelsea Gray. And I think Tanisha Wright, you kind of insert her for that. But then I think the threat that Perkins was on offense. She was, you know, she was the fourth or fifth option out there, but she could hit an open jump shot when it came to her. And I think that might be, if you're going to point to one thing, I think that's the fair thing to point to. And I think that's what they're going to need to address. Maybe that's Alexis Jones, who's shown some promise as a spot up shooter. Maybe it's Lynetta Kaiser knocking down mid range jump shots. Maybe it's Zandalcini who kind of grabs a role and plays more on the wing. So I think they definitely have options to turn to. So I think, the regular season is going to be interesting to see who you know who gets those reps and how do those players do. Before That's the interesting start. stuff regarding Perkins, and uh, I also think it's interesting you brought up the regular season because, yeah, I think I tend to jump to what does this mean in the playoffs. Um, but you're right; like it, maybe if if you believe their bench is worse, maybe the bigger impact is is on seeding. Um, you know, maybe that means they get a two seed or a three seed and. Um, I do think having home court does matter um, in in the game five of the finals. So um, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if there's any coach that'll figure it out, it, it is Coach Reeve. So, um, you know, we'll see. I think, D, you know, D-Rob's play is going to be key. I mean, if you can just simply play off of her and go under on pick and rolls – I mean, I don't really see how she would get that penetration people are talking about. Um, but, you know, we'll, I mean, my, my thing is, you know, it's just an Achilles injury. And I've said this and, and people say she's healthy, that the power, you know, people that know a lot more than me. But I do know from the training I've had as a coach that, you know, the, and having players have had that, it is one of the tough, it really is one of the hardest injuries to ever fully recover from in all of sports. Um, but th- they're a contender. And um, let's move to – let's do Dallas. Uh, we got three teams left, so we're, we're wrapping up here. But, um, you know, they bring in Stevens, um, which at number six I think is hard to argue isn't a steal. You know, Liz Cambage coming in. And, um, you know uh, – X's knows though that this team definitely developed a style. I think you know they were at the top of the league in pace. But something I pointed out, they were actually tenth in transition efficiency. So I think they kind of got this rep of the you know this is this running team that just attacks and and but they really weren't doing it at an efficient clip. Um, they did get to the line and they were at the top of the league in offensive rebounding, and I think that kind of helped out a little bit as far as getting second opportunities and free throws. Um, and then defensively, you know, I was critical of some of the high hedging schemes with Courtney Paris, which I didn't think played to her skill sets. Um, wh- 
you know, d- w- with the additions of Stevens and Cambage, do you think Fred Williams needs to kind of revamp the X's and O's here? Um, or do you think they can kind of continue doing what they did last year and maybe it just kind of works better with who they have coming in? Well, I think we've already seen um, straight from Fred Williams that that they're going to be a different team. Um, if you read, you know, there's a post on their website, um, Leaders of the Pack, Fred Williams. Um, he says right in there, you know, this, um, you know, when asked about Cambage, you know, I'll just read the quote, but he says, the size in the post is going to enable our guards to help, to help out and do a little bit more gambling on defense. When you have a good solid base inside, it opens up around the perimeter. It allows you to play mo- a lot more aggressive. I thought last year you tried a few things early and too many people were scoring in the paint on us. Liz will be able to alter shots and be able to give us rebounding as well. And I guess rather than going on any further, I, you know, I, I agree with that. I imagine that they're going to let her hang back and protect the basket. And I think, I mean, if they do that, I think their their defense will be much improved. I guess my only question is, I guess, why would it be, why would it have been different with Courtney Parrish? She doesn't seem like the type where you would want her coming up to the level of the ball. So I don't know. Am I, maybe am I, there's just something. What did you make of that? Um, I don't know. I think, you know, I think, um, I guess right off the bat, I kind of think of, I think Jim Peterson said this when people ask him about Carl Towns' defense. Um, and he made a point where they just kind of, the Wolves kind of just wanted him, they wanted, they wanted him, you know, coming over every time to have him doing something instead of just standing there overthinking. So maybe the approach from the jump was just, Hey, we have this young team, especially on the perimeter. We want to, you know, we want to get them moving around instead of just being more stationary and, you know, free them up to be aggressive and try to create some steals. Um, and then, you know, Paris has good size in the center, but also, you know, you know, Cam Beige is, you know, with Griner, she's that hundredth percentile. And that alone is like a huge difference. And maybe, just in the mind of Coach Williams, it's just hey, you know, Cambage is that extra level of length that where it just it makes it so much easier to just say yeah, just protect the basket. Well, how do you how do you see uh, Stevens fitting into that? You know, if you have Cambage kind of by the rim, do you see Stevens as somebody who's really getting after it on the perimeter, um, denying the ball, kind of like you said how he his quote of being more aggressive? Or I mean, do you see her? Is, is she better? Is her is she better as a rim protector herself? Um, I don't know because I I really I really have no. If someone just asked me, you know what I I have no idea what what they should do with their front court. I mean, you have you have Glory Johnson and Cambage as you can probably put that in Sharpie as your starters. I don't know. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Stevens. Is she going to play some backup five? Um, or is she going to play some backup four? And are they going to play, you know, because they've got Brianna Lewis and Evelyn Akator who probably have, might have something to prove just to make the roster. That's going to be tough for them this year. But maybe one of those two players is going to end up playing as well. So I, I don't really know. I guess what they're going to have, what they're going to ask of her. 
Um, but I would imagine it's going to start, I would imagine it'll start as a much smaller role and that she'll maybe grow into eventually playing 15, 16 minutes Johnson a Johnson can play the three. And so all three of them can play together. Um, no, I, I think, I think she's a pretty pure four, um, especially offensively. Um, you want her hitting the boards, you want her occasionally popping out for a three. Um, but I mean, they, they have plenty of players, I think, where they, that they would rather try there. I think Kayla Davis, especially is really in line to really have a big season and they have cream and Christmas Kelly, um, as the incumbent there is one of their, I mean, she's a co-captain with, with Skyler. So I think, I don't think yeah, we'll see her there. I mean, this team is really stacked athletically. And then you add Ariel Powers, if she's healthy. Um, I mean, will you know, I don't envy the, the rotation decisions Fred Williams is going to have to make. I think that's something we to watch for. I think that, you know, he's going to have to make the right calls on this rotation and that could really be the difference. You know, they were 16 and 18 last year, and they're obviously looking to um, kind of grow from that. And I think who's in the game, I mean, is going to be key for them. It's a lot of tough calls. Um, two more teams here. Let's uh, let's do the aces. Um, you know, I think a lot's been made. I think it was actually, you know, with, with Howard um, on the Lockdown Women's Basketball podcast when I first heard Bill Lambeer clearly state that Asia Wilson is a five. And I think, you know, that's kind of on Twitter been kind of a discussion of different people's opinions. Um, you know, we had Blake Dodonis on the pod who said she's a five, but he agreed with me that she could play some four. You know, I looked at this team, you know, last year and they it, it seemed like with, you know, McBride, Plum and Jefferson, you know, a team that could really push the ball. And in that light, I was excited to see kind of Asia maybe play some five and really this team being a, a, a running gun type of team. But with Bill Ambeer, that's, you know, that's probably not going to happen. He's made it very clear she'd be playing the four. Sorry, I think I may have mixed up my terminology. He, he made it clear she'd be playing the four. Um, and so, you know, Kelsey Bone and Carolyn Swords, I guess, would play the five. What, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer, but I mean, how would you position that that, this roster? I mean, more of a a transition team and let Wilson play the five or, you know, put her at the four. But, you know, now you have two players that really aren't going to be three point threats. You're going to have to play a very different style. Well, I think, you know, I think, when he went out and got Kelsey Bone, I mean that you know that happen, free agency happening before the draft that that kind of showed where where things were headed. I think a good analog for this discussion is last year's Dallas team. They were a team that just tried to run. They were really aggressive um, because they didn't really have that you know all WNBA caliber center as their backstop, and we saw how that turned out. I mean, they just they just bled points in the paint and people got to the rim on them, I think having another true big in there, um, I just, I, you know, this has been a big discussion in the NBA too. I think that just adds value that's really hard to quantify, but having another 
big person who can alter shots and help you get rebounds, I think it's really hard. Um, if you're going to go away from that full time, it's hard to, to reach the same levels on defense. Um, I, I, I'm interested to see what happens. I mean, I think, I think what this really hinges on is how good is Kelsey Bone. You know, I think that's the, you know, everyone's saying, you know, I think um, it's almost jumping the gun to say, hey, okay, is, is Asia a five yet? The, I mean, the real question, you know, you have to look at how they built this roster. How good is Kelsey Bone? You know, she sat out, she was willing to sat out because she said, hey, I'm a starter. Now she's a starter. Yeah, and how, the, you know, I mean, how a lot of hinges on that. Um, um, yeah, let's get to our last team, um, L.A., so, you know, this is a team that's – they went into the playoffs last year, and I think they – a lot of people really thought they were going to, you know, win back-to-back titles. They just seemed like, you know, while Minnesota had been dealing with Waylon's injury and maybe, you know, had a bit of a skid, L.A. was just seeming like they had no flaws heading into that playoffs. But in the finals, and it's something I, you know, asked Coach Reeve about, but it – I'd almost felt like Minnesota was baiting LA into taking threes, but they really just didn't make enough perimeter shots. Um, and, and when you kind of look through their roster and look at the percentages, they really, even though they have bigs that, that are versatile, um, the, the team as a whole does not have a lot of shooters, at least as, as far as who was actually getting minutes. Um, you know, Chelsea Gray is really the only knockdown shooter, and Candace can be that at times. Um, do I mean, it, is shooting a problem for this team? Do they have enough shooting? Do you think I'm overblowing that? What, what's your take on that? Um, well, you know, I think just on the overall dominance of, of the Sparks in the regular season, you know, I think one of the coolest stats – of the year by far was that they were the only team that won every regular season series and that this, it just, and it's, and I think some people almost felt like, you know, if they talked to Candace Parker, Neko Gumke, Brian Agler, that, you know, they're all their remarks were almost robotic because they're just, but they're just so locked in on the day to day that they're really built to execute what they talk about. Um, I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't really think it's a problem. I think an interesting thing, if you compare, if you compare the finals to the semifinals, I think if you go back and watch, you know, Sylvia, Fowles, I don't know if it was instinct, if it was part of the game plan. Um, but Sylvia Fowles was a little bit, a little bit better at that dance of, am I going to jump all the way across the lane and help off of Neka Gumuke, Or am I going to stay kind of attached to her? And I think in the semis, you saw Griner, kind of stay attached a lot more of the time, unable to get into the in, back into the play to make a difference when people attack the rim. Whereas I think against Minnesota, they ran into her more times than not. And that's what caused problems for them. Um, I, I, you know, and I think, I think NECA needs to take a few more of those shots. Um, Odyssey Sims was awesome once she became a starter, but um, she hasn't been, you know, a catch and shoot three point shooter isn't hasn't been one of her fortes. We'll see, um, you know, how she improves with that. And I think Cappy Pondexter, I think, is going to be interesting to watch because um, she might not necessarily be asked to create a lot of offense, which she's done for so long so well. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch. You know, is she going to be able to step in and just 
wow, wow, I'm getting all these yeah. open shots and just, you know, she's going to be able to knock them down. Well, it's going to boil down to that in a lot of ways because, I mean, just based off of two years ago to this year, the team that has won the finals, just in comparison, obviously, it's Lynx and Sparks because of, of who's played in it, but the team that's been able to make the three-pointers, to make the shots versus playing tough defense and doing other aspects has really been the thing to win. And and two years ago, we saw the Lynx struggle with that and then focus Rebecca Brunson's talents towards that to shift towards you know the playoffs. And then the Sparks kind of struggled in that same respect. So it's interesting kind of, are these teams going to go back and forth on that? Or, or is their focus, no, we're just going to strengthen what our strength is now and focus on that later? Yeah, you know, I think... I think it's just a matter of how you see it. You know, I think I think the separator in that series, the Sparks looked a little tired in Game 4, and I think they missed some shots they definitely would have normally made, especially at home where they were just unstoppable. But to me, to me it was more about, I mean, the Sparks couldn't get a defensive rebound. In Games 4 and Games 5, Fowles and Brunson just wedged themselves into the basket, and they just said, you know, we're going for a rebound every time, and the series is going to hinge on this, and they got those rebounds, and that's... To me, that's ultimately what. Yeah, what made I mean, the re- rebounding was was kind of the. I would say definitely was the biggest factor in that series. I felt shooting was second. I, I think you know when your kickout options are Elena Beard, um, you know Odyssey Sims, as you mentioned, is not really a catch and shoot player. Um, Chelsea Gray, you know, she's more off the dribble, though she's obviously a great catch. And, I mean, she's just a great three point shooter. Period. Um, uh, even, you know, I, Essence Carson is a capable shooter, but would take a lot of long twos. I almost feel like that's something that would be really easy to address. Um, i got to think she made probably five twos in that series with her foot on the line. Um, what Last thing on them, what, what about Sydney Weiss? Because, I mean, I saw her in warm-ups at those finals, and, I mean, she, she was making 15 shots in a row. Do, do you think she'll get an opportunity this year? Um, a bigger opportunity because she definitely could shoot the ball. Yeah, that'll that'll be interesting. I think I think that's just going to come down. I think it'd be a. I think it'd be a. I'd be interested to see how she does getting more minutes. I'm not. I don't know whether that'd be a definitive difference maker. You know, in terms of how many games they win. I mean, you just you start listing off the names, and you figure, you know, Pondexter's going to play off the bench. Carson's playing off the bench. Um, Lavender, and then if they play a fourth big, you figure Vadiva plays, and then it's just a matter of you know how many how many players realistically are you going to be able to work into a game? And that's you know, and that's that's a question for everybody. You know, it's it's a forty minute game. It's not easy to play. You know, nine even 10 players and to give them, to give them substantial minutes. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the interesting thing to bring this back to is we talk about the sparks knocking down shots. I think, I think the real difference maker is it's, it's just a referendum on how awesome Brunson and Maya Moore, especially were on defense in that series. I mean, I think the I think the difference is that, I mean, Maya Moore was just all over the place. She was just like Fowles. She was playing that dance where she was, getting into the lane, she'd be an extra body. But then when she had to, she got right out to the perimeter and closed out on somebody. And I think, and I think that's what it's all about. I mean, you put the two best teams up against each other and you have, 
you have people that are going to make that you have special players. And I think, I think Brunson at this stage in her career to be going toe to toe with Candace Parker. I mean, I think that's something that can't be talked about enough. And then I, you know, I think more, I mean, they went small a lot and sometimes she just straight up guarded Candace Parker one-on-one and she holds up. Um, you know, there's that, the, the meme of, um, DeMarcus Cousins stoning Carl Towns in the post. I mean, Maya Moore almost did that a couple of times, giving what, you know, five inches to, you know, if not, you know, and those are the best players in the world right there. You know, number one, and number two, I think anyone would rank them. So I think it really comes back to that. It's just that when you play the links, it's that hard to score, no matter what you're trying to get yeah, a layup absolutely. or an open three and, or whatever. Um, you know, I know I expect those teams to be right back there. Um, it's going to be a great season regardless. Um, you know, we got to wrap it up here. We, you know, this is great stuff. Great, great insight. Really appreciate um, you coming on to the pod. And just real quick, if you want to kind of shout out kind of what, what your coverage is going to be this season and your, your Twitter handle or anything else uh, our listeners should know if they want to find your, your content. Sure. Um, thank you guys for having me on. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at split the post. Um, you can find all my stuff on high post hoops. Um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook. We're trying to build up our Instagram. So hopefully that that'll be another thing we can work on this season as well. Um, but really that's it. Just paying attention and covering the whole league and hopefully, um, you know, shining a light on all the cool stuff these players do and that, you know, just another, you know, we enjoy it. We enjoy it because it's it's fun to watch. It's fun basketball, and hopefully, our coverage reflects that. Well, I want to thank you, Ben, again for for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it, folks. I'm Aria Schwartz, along with Eli Horowitz. And this has been the WNBA Insider Show. Each week, we cover various topics important to the W using X's and O's along with key stats, bringing honest and critical analysis to the W. And tune in next week.